plays with Texas players. Welcome to the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Uh, Grant, I would ask how you are, but um, looking at the last couple of days about TCU, I feel like we have a, a little bit more pressing matters to discuss uh, starting out here. Yeah, that was a very interesting uh, four or five hours on Monday afternoon when all of a sudden uh, rumors that Gary Patterson may have let a racial slur, the racial slur fly. Um, I, I think the first thing I saw was Nico Small's tweet, uh, former TCU defensive back. Uh, then linebacker Dylan Jordan came out with, with the full story kind of of his, let's, let's say, allegations. Um, and then it was off to the races. It was a wild, wild Monday. And uh, I, I, I still don't know if the dust is quite settled. Yeah, so like let's just let's just broadly recap the event. Uh, I'm gonna try to do that like uh, objectively and just say that like there was a a a player who um, felt like he was treated unfairly in a in a large sense at his time at TCU and um, had had clashed with Coach P a little bit um, and in doing so uh, didn't respond well to a joke and didn't respond well to some further comments from coach Patterson, which, you know, you could, you could argue one, one could argue were potentially mean spirited. were potentially like picking on this one kid individually, not for any kind of like racial issue. Um, but I think it was mm-hmm. making fun of him for posting about his girlfriend um, on, on yep. Twitter or something. On National girlfriend day, I think yeah. is what it was. Yeah. And so there's, there's a conflict here and Gary says, you know, I'm, I look, I, I, I'll get you out of here. Like, I don't care. I don't know what the exact word he said was. I think he said, I'll, I'll send you back to Pitt where Pittsburgh, Kansas, where the kid is from. Um, not, not the kid, the young man is from. And, uh, and the young man says, well, like, what did I do? And Gary referring to a team rule about a certain word said, you said that word in the team room. It, and Gary said the word out loud. Um, and, and I think we're safe here. It, the N word. Yeah, he said the yeah, N word, yeah. I mean, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, you said you said N word out loud, but he actually said the word. I mean, we're not going to say it. yeah. And, yeah. and then to, to, and, to uh, compound that, the next day, the you know the the defense, the team defense said, "Hey, we're sitting out until we talk about it. like we need to talk about this," which was awesome. That's great. Absolutely in their balance, uh, and and well within their rights. And 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 Gary comes in and says, "I didn't call him a," and and says it again. So that's. That's what I'm confused because I saw that, but I, I saw that in the, the player's initial allegations. I don't think there was ever a follow-up or clarification on that. Or a corroboration uh, maybe? Or a corroboration, exactly. Like, I don't – because if he, if he said it twice, I mean, I mean we, we can get in, and I think we will, to sort of our – not our take, but certainly what, you know, what we think happened. But, man, if he said it twice, like, that's not very smart. You know, I would say, and and so, but continuing down the timeline, I will say that immediately, both of us, everyone watching it, saw a lot of current TCU players not defend Patterson, but certainly add context to the situation. Artavius Lynn being chief among them, and saying, "Look, he didn't call anybody that word. He was using it in the context of, hey, you said this in the locker room, which is a violation of team rules, and that they talked about it." And I, 
you know, who knows what the result of that discussion was between the defense or, or the team and Gary Patterson, but it seems like they talked it over. From, and, from, from uh, accounts, I think it was Artavius Lynn uh, who, who said that yes. went really well and some things are going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Right. W- w- which is good. We, we should also specify. Um, so I, I, I don't think the dust has settled, but I, I don't think it's going to tear apart the program. Uh, no, no. I think we were talking uh, about is is Gary Patterson going to get fired on Monday and and oh, decisively? Yeah, no, no that's I don't not going to no. happen. Um, no, I don't think it was a fireable offense. I think it might have been a behind the scenes kind of a finable offense. I mean, TCU being a private school, you really don't know what goes on behind the scenes with their finances. You really almost don't even know what's in Gary's contract. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some internal. I, you know, it's hard to discipline Gary Patterson, and I'm not necessarily advocating for it, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of internal communication going on behind the scenes of, hey, don't do this again. Yeah, I mean, uh, at least implicitly finable, because I imagine the, the 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 foundation will be making a donation somewhere. A donation, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so I just want to go I, – I, I don't know that I have, like, a ton of hot takes on this. I just want to go and say it is um, colossally stupid – for him to say that word. Um, yep. Even if he is highlighting a rule and saying like, you can't curse in the, in the, um, in the meeting rooms and you said this word, uh, just, just that saying that out loud, especially at this moment in time is just very unwise. Um, very, very unwise. It's tone deaf. It, it, tone deaf. It, we were kind yeah. of talking tone deaf, it, it, and we were kind of talking before and I, I don't really know how to split this hair. It's not that he said it out of, anger it's that he was just in an argument and he was trying to make his point with this with this player and he said what the kid said without what the player said without remembering to censor himself and i i don't think gary patterson's a racist um i'm a white guy but i think you can make that call I've, I've covered him for a while um i and i've seen a lot of players rush to his defense i just think he's made a really really dumb mistake and i, I don't think it's anything that's happened before i i'll be that gum surprised if it happens again uh, it was just not a good look is I think the best way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's really what it just comes down to is just like, this was unfortunate. Um, and, and when it's unfortunate, like, you know, Dylan Jordan is, is a, a talented football player and, and may have potentially grown into someone who could start and contribute at TCU and wasn't getting the opportunities he thought he would get, wasn't progressing as fast as possible and was clearly like disgruntled and unhappy with that. And it's unfortunate that like that situation was kind of like the tender um, so -hmm. that this clash where Gary made a very, very dumb and and perhaps unpalatable mistake um, Mm -hmm. that that kind of lit this spark that led to, you know, Stuart Mandel retweeting very, very uh, with without a lot of nuance, I'll say. And and, Mm -hmm. and some people heaping some gasoline. Um, So it's just like unfortunate that like, Gary put himself in this position by doing something very, very dumb and, and giving a little bit of leverage to a disgruntled player. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I, I think, I think we can leave it at that. I, I think everyone was obsessed with this for 36 hours. Gary has since apologized. Um, like we talked about, I, th- I think the team met with him and, and from what I've seen, it was a decent discussion uh, until they come out with something else. We won't know. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we don't exactly know what, what the results of those conversations were. But for now, I think we're just it's, it's not something to chalk up and forget, but it's something to say, hey, this isn't going to 
be the end of Gary Patterson's career. It was an unfortunate incident. I don't think it should be the end of Gary's career. And, uh, you know, let's, let's, as cliche as this is, learn a lesson and we're going to try to move forward from it. And, and, and if anyone on the team is offended, man alive, I get it. I'm not going to deny them those feelings at all. But I think from what I've heard, I think it's going to be an ability to move on, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, it's, it's, it's not a fun situation to talk about. I, we're trying to kind of straddle a line here. We have our feelings on it, but I don't, I don't think it's going to affect the football season this year, as callous as that sounds. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, you know, do, doing our best to, like, look at, look at the football angle there. Like, we, we thought there was potentially, like, a staff disruption. There's not. I, I mm-hmm. wish the best for uh, Dylan Jordan. I hope that – I hope, like, it would be awesome if out of this, uh, Artavius Lynn, who appears to be, like, a team leader in this, would be able to, like, communicate to Coach Patterson and say, like, hey – Here's some like, you know, while, while we have this avenue of communication, here's X, Y, and Z that are potentially troublesome. Mm-hmm. Can we address that? That would, that would be productive. That would be mm-hmm. great. So hopefully, hopefully that happens. I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that it wasn't as bad as it looked at the beginning. Although again, it was, uh, it was bad. Um, and so yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully there's, there's some um, potential conversation moving forward. Um, For sure. Also, shout out Artavius Lynn, who dude. has been like a, a very vocal guy, has like made his point very clearly and has you know, had some nuance, I think, in what he said. Uh, yeah. What's Artavius Lens major? Should be communications. I'll tell you well, that. You know, you just think about, you hear about like uh, Kelton Hollins, who's like going to be the mayor of Baton Rouge or something. And you always hear about him being like a, a Which like, I would not put past him having interviewed him. Oh, uh, so, so Artavius Lens from Bozier city and Artavius Lens is, is uh, that doesn't say, it doesn't say his name on the, that's so disappointing. Um, I want to know his major. Yeah, yeah. Art, Artavius Lynn, I'm going to at you on Twitter and find your major. Maybe poli poli-sci, or anything else. I have Dude, he's 665. Yeah, no, uh, Holy cow. He's a big old boy. Part. I wish TC yeah. would use tight ends, um, but we did offense last week. So let's pivot to yeah. the, other, the other news. Let's just – look, transitions are weird. We're just going to roll. Uh, yeah. RIP the iron skillet, man. That thing's getting buried in Dallas. Uh, announced today – that uh, TCU and SMU's game is not going to happen this year in 2020, um, which is interesting. So what's going on there, Grant? Well, I've heard, too, that SMU is even willing to play the game in Fort Worth again. Um, And TCU said no. So from what it sounds like, it was TCU's decision. Um, Well, yeah, that's actually my big wonky idea is, like, we we yelled about this on the podcast. We don't do this again. TCU should play. And we'll two do for it one. again. Parker, say they it, should say play it. two for one. Save TCU is the only Power Five team who does this shit. Sorry, Earmuffs, who does this shit? Okay, if if the record was a TCU blowout, I would get it. I know that's what it's been in recent years. Uh, historically, it's fifty-one forty-one seven TCU. SMU has SMU won this game. I'm counting here. Uh, 14 years in a row in the late 70s and 80s. They've got enough goodwill to make TCU play this game as a one-and-one until the end of time. Okay, to be fair, SMU was also, like, paying professional players to play for them. So We were – TCU was, too. I don't know if you remember well, that not, part. not good enough. Uh, not, not, not the right players. <laughs> we tried, man. We just didn't do it so, well enough. My thought on this, I actually really like. Um, so I want to say again, this is, I think this is my, my COVID soapbox here is like, this sucks for HBCU schools, man. 
uh, because yeah. like TCU had Prairie View coming in. TCU's played a Southern school the last four years in a row. And I think next season they actually were going to play in 2021. I think they had Tennessee Tech scheduled somebody else who isn't an HBCU. And so they were going to like kind of break the streak there. But um, so, so it sucks because that's a really great way to fund playing opportunities for students and individuals who wouldn't get those opportunities otherwise. And so, and so that's disappointing that that's not happening. But two, from, from what I read briefly, I think Drew Davison's article in the, in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram uh, said that TCU had a strong enough buyout with Tennessee Tech that they were like, no, SMU, we're not going to play our plus one on you. Um, I think that actually what happens there is like, if I only get one non-con game, I'd rather make sure it's a win 100%. Like maybe SMU is oh, a win yeah. 30%. Uh, but I would much rather get that win, get that confidence, get those reps where um, nothing weird is going to happen. I Look, Shane Bouchelle is a senior. They still have some serious – like, um, man, I think Kylan Granson was on award watch list. Kylan Granson tied in number 83 last year, 8 TCU alive. Um, and he – uh, he's on some award lists. Like they they lost a lot, but I I think they they they're pretty scrappy this year. So I can totally understand from a strategic standpoint saying like ah SMU our hands are tied with this Tennessee Tech buyout. Sorry, uh, can't play it. Yeah. Don't. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. Yeah. I really hate that we can't play this game. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that philosophy. Like if you're gonna have if you're gonna play ten games, not in the Big Twelve, make your tenth a on paper ninety nine percent win and just. Get, get you know, sh- shake the cobwebs off before B twelve play starts. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you and I disagree on the value of the SMU game, or certainly at least playing it as a one and one and hyping it up as a rivalry. But I, I do enjoy the SMU game. It always seems to be a little bit weird, and I do like weird football, um, even if it is the team that I cheer for. Um, so I, I, I am disappointed. I, I think it's a unique tradition. Um, Big fan of rivalry games. Parker, as a fun fact, actually, Bay City High School, where I'm an alumni, has the uh, longest current high school football rivalry in the state of Texas. So, you know, if that means anything to you. Interesting. Um, uh, can I yeah, just point, point, of, point of information? Are you not an alumnus? Okay. Well, that's a very good point. Uh, spoken English is different from written English, but yes, I'll take your point. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, an alumnus, and as a journalism major, that's something I should. And as a journalism major who worked covering our college in college, yes, that was something we stressed. Uh, yeah, no. Anyway, I, I love rivalry games. I'm sad we don't get that this year, but we'll make it up with Baylor and Texas and whatever other opponents we play in the Big Twelve. That we honestly, don't like. like Texas Tech, I feel like is a rival. Um, I see. I don't. No hate for Texas Tech. I really don't. Yeah, well, you clearly haven't met enough of them. Uh, Say that to my cousin and his wife. His wife will beat you up. I'll tell you that. I I fully believe that. (laughs) Did I tell you my favorite review of a podcast we've ever gotten? My my brother-in-law's father, so my sister-in-law's husband's father, whatever that is, he is a Mm -hmm. big Texas Tech guy, and he listened to our Texas Tech preview, and he said that was uh, dismal and pessimistic and spot on. I was like, that's great. Perfect. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, wait. Could be our tagline. I, I want to get to our defensive preview, but um, it has come uh, across my desk that Kelton Hollins has made a proclamation, and I would like to share it with you. Seven minutes ago, okay. Kelton Hollins. Amongst all the chaos that has transpired this summer, I was really inspired to do something special. I'm excited to see it come to life tomorrow. I expect great things from Kelton Hollins. Um, I rewatched the Texas game multiple times this offseason, and they did like 
the Fox News did all the features on Kelton Hollins. He is like an all around stand up, incredible individual who said, hey, some people were nice to me and mentored me growing up and I'm going to spend my life doing that. Um, and so like, that's awesome. And it's cool that he's going to have an opportunity to put his money where his mouth is uh, because he's, he's done that consistently and will get to continue to do that. So um, Hell yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That is great. I'm excited to see what that is. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Really cool. Yeah. Um, any other any other breaking news, or should we do this defensive preview? Man, let's hop into the defense. I'm excited about it. This is this is the good side of the ball. Uh, I technically, I think. Yeah, right. I, it's the I, good I, side of the ball. It's the yeah. good, it's the good side. I did that. I did an article a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it was the first the first article on Purple Theory that was just like, "Hey, TCU's defense was awesome, and it was way worse than the than it was way worse because of the offense. Um, just because like starting field position." time between drives, number of drives, all that stuff. Um, TCU was like, you know, I did, I did graphs of like starting field position on drives and efficiency. And TCU was like way above everyone else who started at the same place that they did. So you have to think they were hampered a little bit by there. Uh, TCU defensive uh, S&P was, was 35th overall last year. They um, were 46th against the rush and 29th against the – pass. Um, if we're talking about EPA, expected points added, one of our favorite stats, um, they were 25th overall on defense, uh, 25th, uh, excuse me, 45th against the rush, but they were 25th against the pass. So a really good passing team actually held teams to negative EPA per pass, which is, which is hard to do um, on, on the course of the season and on the course of the season where you see as much volume of passing as you do in the Big 12. So um, yeah, this defense is pretty special. Grant, um, can you just talk to me about 2019's defense and who stepped up and kind of what the stories were? Man, the stories are the injuries. So, obviously, you had stars that were coming back. Jeff Gladney being the shutdown corner, the guy that you expected to uh, kind of carry that defensive secondary. And he, and he had a good year. But there were a ton of guys who rotated through that other cornerback position, that rotated through the safety position. Um, and and even kind of rotated into the defensive line where where it was hard to get a consistent uh, starting lineup for TCU uh, for TCU's defense. With that said, there were just an incredible amount of really really talented freshmen that made their names. So you look at guys like Ardarius Washington, who might be my favorite player on the team. Um, Keon Stewart, he didn't necessarily performed the best, but I think he performed really admirably and got a lot of really valuable experience at corner. Uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, LaDainian Tomlinson's kid, uh, nephew at defensive back, um, played very well. Uh, Nook Bradford also at defensive back. Uh, D. Winters at linebacker. Uh, you know, Colt Ellison and Wyatt Harris on the defensive line. All this, and, uh, you know, all these guys stepped up to the plate when they were asked to. And it wasn't the defense that TCU expected to have, but it was still an extremely good defense. And that's going to bode so well moving into 2020, even when you lose guys like, you know, uh, Vernon Scott, Ennis Gaines, Ross Blacklock's a big loss, him going to the draft. But, you know, the fact that TCU can still say, hey, we're going to have one of the probably two best defenses in the Big 12, despite losing, you know, our our best corner and our best defensive lineman is pretty daggum impressive. Yeah. Dude, Vernon Scott got drafted. That rules. Uh, I, 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 that was, I'm happy for him. 
That was awesome. That was like mind blowing. That was awesome. That linebacker core, I think it's important to note, that's a revolving door because like middle of August in 2019, Montrell Wilson, who who unfortunately dealt with a ton of injuries, had to had to retire from football and left the team. And so TC went from having two very experienced linebackers to one very experienced linebacker and nobody. And the the trio of Wilson, Winters, and Harris stepped up uh pretty pretty dang admirably in that second linebacker spot. And again, You'll, you'll, you'll note TC runs the 4-2-5, um, although they played a lot of three down. We'll talk about that. They run the 4-2-5, and that second linebacker, like, you can't just throw a body out there. Like, you've got to know what's going on. And so yeah. to have, you know, two, two sophomores or two freshmen and a sophomore pull up and, and be able to contribute in that defense has been really, really uh, impressive. Um, so, yeah, I think – Well, I, think, I had another one in there. I'm sorry. I talked over you. No, no, no. You're, yeah, you're you totally fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, yeah. Well, it's just – it's, you know – well, I had another guy in there too, with Kendrick Van Zandt. He was listed as a defensive back, but played some linebacker, you know, last year. Patterson said he was the best athlete on the field at points when he was out there, and he filled in that second linebacker spot too. So there was a ton of guys that stepped in beside Garrett Wallow and, and performed well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the the talking point on the Kendrick Van Zandt coming out of camp because he was filling in initially. Um, is that he went step for step with Jalen Rager uh, in in a, mm-hmm. in a couple of drills, and so um, a lot of speed in that linebacker core, and so um, yeah, I think I think that's 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 a pretty interesting uh, unit because TCU has um, kind of a, a a question mark there for 2019. So if we're going to go position by position, which I think maybe we should, let's start with mm-hmm. linebackers just because we're talking about it. So the linebackers. Um, Havoc rate was was pretty low. Uh, you know, they're 79th overall. And so Havoc Grant is just these plays that are like disruptions, tackles for losses, pass breakups, sacks, forced fumbles, just kind of how much how much junk did you did you induce? Um, and, it, and it was pretty low. And, and the reasoning there is that, um, you know, there's only two of them in, in most downs. And a lot of times that that guy, that other linebacker is going to cover the tight end or the H back or the Y. Um, in coverage. And so there's not a lot of like friction points. And so realistically it's, it's one person making a lot of those. Um, and so that one person more often than not was junior Garrett Wallow had 90 tackles, 14.5 tackles for loss. Um, and he had 20 havoc plays, which is, uh, which is pretty, pretty impressive. He led the team in havoc plays overall. Um, and so I, I don't know that you can say enough about Garrett Wallow and what his senior season is going to look like. So Grant Garrett Wallow, in terms of all-time TCU linebackers, is he going to put his name on that list this fall? I, I think he will. First off, I'll say you shortchanged him because I'm adding assisted tackles in that. He had 125 tackles uh, if you count assisted. But yes, no, I, I think he's going to. I think he's going to etch his name into into that sort of upper echelon. I mean, you look at guys, you know, Tank Carter, uh, you know, Paul Dawson certainly up there. Uh, Ty Summers is up there. Um, I'm sure there's one I'm forgetting that you'll remind me of, but uh, no, no, Wallow is is just an incredible athlete, an incredibly cerebral football player. I, I having, I think you and I both have probably been able to hear him speak, and he's really, really smart about the way he goes about the linebacker position. He was talking about his uh, interception against uh, Texas against Sam Ellinger in that game, and he he you know he, he was talking about how he read the play. And uh, he, he's just an, an incredible linebacker, tailor-made for the TCU football program. Patterson talked a little bit last year about how he doesn't want him 
to make all the plays. So his numbers may go down next year, but I think the impact uh, that I'll have is only going to go up. Yeah, I think you could see him a little bit like, uh, gosh, we're just getting bouncing all over, but like uh, Trayvon Merrig, uh, kind of at the end of the season, people were mm-hmm. like, okay, we're just not going to throw anywhere near you. Um, and so I think Wallow will greatly impact rushing patterns, which is great. If you can have a defender who closes down one side of the field, that is awesome. Um, yeah, so, so, so that's, that's really great. I think, I think Wallow will mature from, you know, he went from safety who converted to linebacker to a mm-hmm. gritty player who gained some weight and became a really good linebacker to his senior year. I think he will become a great defender and won't just be this gritty story of like, he changed positions and worked hard. He'd be like, no, he's actually really smart about the defense and he is pretty freaking athletic. And so I think, I think I'm mm-hmm. expecting a whole lot out of him. Um, I think he will be, yeah, absolutely up there with, with the Dawson's with the, with the summers, with the Carters. Um, uh, in that like long line of TCU plays, he's on he's on NFL draft boards. Um, I think I think he absolutely could get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so definitely expecting big things about him. Um, we we've got to talk about the second linebacker position though, because uh, who's who's going to fill that? Who are some of the candidates? Who do you think is going to going to be that guy? Well, those guys. I mean, you look so the guys coming back from last year: D. Winters, Ben Wilson, um, Van Zandt's going to play in the secondary, so he's he's probably out of that. Which is a, lu- um, and then it's a, a damn trend. luxury. I know, I know. Yeah. It's an incredible luxury. And then you look at uh, the other guys that are contenders, and they're two – well, and, and White Harris. We should throw him in. I don't think I said his name. He, I, he'll, he'll probably play linebacker this season um, and, and can compete. But uh, you look at the transfers. It's Mark Jackson Jr. from Oklahoma and Marcel Brooks from LSU, who uh, will be eligible from what I understand and also will wear number zero, which is awesome. Okay, number zero is badass. Two, I did not. I have not seen anything about eligibility. I was assuming no. I so I, I, I don't profess to have any inside knowledge, um, but according to um, let me make sure I, I use my sources correctly here. Um, oh yeah, so so according to Jeremy Clark, obviously Horn Frog Blitz, um, he's expected to play linebacker for the Frogs this fall, according to multiple sources. That was as of uh, July thirty first, so last week. So okay. it's not official yet, um, but it's uh, Jeremy seems to think it's going to happen. Okay, well that makes TCU stupid because do you know what happens then? Right. Do you know Mark Jackson's also on the field, but yep. he's an edge rusher, and that is yep. huge. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is a that is a a, a double upgrade. Um, right. Because so let's it, not take it for granted. I mean, Jeremy yeah. knows what he's talking about for sure. But 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 if that happens, man alive. Like, yeah. Whew. So it's I, really think, exciting. I think that, um, yeah, so, 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 so if Brooks is there, that's, that's pretty, pretty impressive because uh, it gives you a lot of versatility as well um, to play that three down because then you could keep Jackson as the edge rusher and he'd come back and play linebacker or he could play defensive end. I think he's actually switching positions to defensive end. Um, so, so, so I don't, I don't know how true that will be, but to have guys like Ben Wilson and D and D winters who are younger and will be able to come in and, and give you that three linebacker look potentially spell guys and still have a ton of experience in play. Um, I think is incredible because Marcel Brooks, you know, the scouting report on him was that he wasn't the, the three down linebacker. Um, he was, you know, great, great on the edge rush, great in certain situations. Um, and, and all around like very, very dynamic. So to have, you know, like a stock of contributing linebackers that gives you the flexibility to de- deploy Brooks 
in an intelligent way, um, coupled with the fact that you have Jackson there as well, is going to be um, a, a pretty robust edge threat from the from the intermediary section of the defense, which I think is something uh, that would greatly greatly improve TCU. <clears throat> And, and would complement Garrett Wallow very well, who is certainly is kind of a do-it-all guy, but I wouldn't say pass rushing is his specialty. I mean, he had three and a half sacks last year, but he had, you know, however many tackles. He had 19 tackles against SMU, and a lot of those are sort of in the flats. You know, he, he'd yeah. shut down short passing routes. He'd get guys on, on you know, run plays. So to be able to have the pass rusher alongside Wallow, like that really just plays into exactly what TCU needs. I think so. And, I, and, and again, you think about like you have Gary Patterson's mind for defense and he has a very mm-hmm. specific scheme, but also you, you give him more weapons and he can do more. I think, I think that's really, really interesting linebacking core. Um, it's crazy that we started with the linebacking core because I think, I think it's going to be so good, but I think the secondary is going to be as good, if not better. Um, I don't think there are three better safeties on, a, on one team in the country than TCU, and I mean that completely sincerely. Okay, well, they're, they're if, literally. If had, go, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say Javon, Javon Merrick, Lekendrick Van Zant, Ardaris Washington. Like I think I can guess what you're going to say. Merrick and Washington were the number one and number two rated safeties on Pro Football Focus last year. Merrick oh, was a sophomore, stop. and Washington was a freshman. No qualifiers. Like just an insane amount, and and so so you could think of like this this general equilibrium. So. Sorry, nerd talk. General equilibrium is like, you know, one side of the equation changes, but then the other side changes as well. So like, you know, if you think about running and passing, well, partial equilibrium is saying, I pass more, so that's going to improve my efficiency. General equilibrium says, well, if I pass more, then you're going to defend the pass more. So what happens there? And so you can see this general equilibrium sense where, okay, Washington and Mary are really, really good. We're going to start designing offenses to get away from them. But, but you have... Van Zant, who's going to get back there and give them that third safety that's going to be so dynamic that it's going to be an entirely new wrinkle. And so I think that's going to be really, really uh, a dangerous unit. Yeah, Marion had uh, 11 pass breakups, four interceptions. Washington had two pass breakups, five interceptions. Um, not to mention that uh, Merrick had 18.5 Havoc plays um, and was just really, really, you know, making tackles at that next level, which uh, it, TCU's defensive back havoc rate was 9.6, which is third in the nation. Um, and, and that's a little bit misleading because TCU's defense is designed to funnel tackles to the safeties and the safeties walk up and they're on mm-hmm. the edge and all that. But still, like, they're making, they're making plays regardless. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's going to be a really, really robust uh, secondary. I think the storyline there, especially with Merrick, is awesome. Um, I mean, Patterson talked about him at Big 12 Media Days. By the way, RIP Big 12 Media Days. Uh, certainly Dude, the most fun event of the year held at AT&T Stadium. Look, man, all winter, I'm looking to ask Bob Bolsby about realignment, and that jerk's not going to hear my question this year. All I want to know is that if Tom Herman wants to play Texas A&M. Uh, but, but no, but, but Patterson talked about how, how hard Merrick worked and just being like, I think he was TCU's special teams player of the year when he was a freshman. And going from that to the number one rated safety on PFF in one season is pretty daggum impressive. It legit might be the best storyline on the team. Oh yeah, uh, uh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Can I can I, I drop another? Can I just drop another name? Like again, wealth of riches. Scrooge McDuck diving into a pool of gold coins. Mm-hmm. Atanza Vongor is a four-star oh, yeah. for a sophomore who's 
actually going to be really, really good. And so, like, again, you just have so many weapons on this defense that, like, don't factor in to, like, returning production at all. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. so, and so, like, TCU's returning production uh, looks a little bit like – it looks a little bit less stellar than you want because they lose Gladney and they lose Innes Gaines and they lose Vernon mm-hmm. Scott, um, Ross Blacklock. Uh, and, and so, and so there's, there's a lot of losses – but in reality, you have like these sneaky guys like Atanza Bongo who are just like classic TCU plug and be excellent. It's not just plug and play. It's like plug and be excellent. And so, well, um, yeah, I think that's yeah. going to be pretty cool. And, and we talked uh, last week about uh, when we were talking about the offense about how Max Duggan like wasn't, wasn't supposed to see the field till 2022, right? So on the defense, I'm not exactly comparing Duggan with this player, but like Bud Clark, the freshman coming in from Louisiana, is a mf'er but this guy's 6'2 180 he was a number 31 safety in the country but he's a four-star signee like he was also a baseball letterman for some reason you know he, he picked tcu over lsu oklahoma ole miss bug clark is going to be a star on that defense hopefully he does not play a single snap this year but if needed like that's a guy that tcu can bring off the bench and throw in like he's going to be an incredible player the yeah. depth on the secondary is unreal it's just experience at corner is where, you know, the, the, we're going to run into some issues here, but the depth is wild. Okay. Can I, can I say, t- so, so, so two things there. One, yeah, the story last year was injuries and this year yes. we're like, okay, we have, we have depth, which is great. Um, second, I'm actually higher on the corners than I think a lot of people are. So, okay. So, well, first off, who do you think is going to start? So I think, I think Trevious Tom, Hodges Tomlinson and Keon Stewart are going to battle each other out um i think they're going to be fighting for it because i think everyone in the entire world is forgetting about noah daniels yep noah daniels was hurt for the entirety of last year he didn't play noah daniels is capital v capital g very good um and so i think Mm -hmm. he will actually replace gladney as the lockdown corner which feels like kind of out of nowhere because he didn't play last year but so i think i think tava Hodges Tomlinson will win that job and repeat his role from last year. And I think Keon Stewart will play in relief. But um, I, I think mm-hmm. TCU's cornerback unit is better than it, it, it seems initially just because of that. I think that's a completely fair take. Uh, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So I'm just going to name one other player to show that we've done our research. But no, I, I think Nook Bradford is listed as a safety uh, on the roster. I'm curious to see where they use him. But because I, I do think he has a role to play on the defense, uh, I think he's a really, really good athlete. Um, so getting him involved would be be awesome. But I, I, I'm, I don't know where that I don't know where that is just because of how much depth is already there. Yeah, so so I think Bradford's a guy who could definitely fill out. You know, he's five eleven, one ninety. He's a little big, um, but I think he absolutely could play cornerback and is talented and will be on the field in some capacity. So um, yeah. again, uh, a little weird because like Big Twelve can get substitution heavy. And so you don't know, mm-hmm. um, you, you, you know, or, uh, or tempo heavy. So like if you're substitution heavy, your defense is going to be bad. So TCU can run the first guys out there, but they could potentially at the first opportunity to substitute run three or four guys in the secondary and, and give guys a breather, which would be uh, uh, pretty valuable. I think going forward. Almost play like platoon football, like the old days and yeah. just kind of run guys out. there. I mean, I, I think there's so many options in that secondary that, yeah, now I'm, 
Yeah, I, I think we're both in agreement here and that this is going to be one of the top units in the country. Okay, and I just had a bad thought, with, though, because what if Gary is know. so confident that he can run a ton of defensive guys out there that he's not worried about the defense getting tired, and then he's just like, let's just play ball control, and then we can just play defense for, like, 58 minutes a game and score one touchdown and win 7-3 to three every time. G- Gary Patterson's ideal game is win by one. If he could win it 2 nothing, he would. We know this. But, but Gary's had great defenses before, and those have been in conjunction with good offenses. So weird there how is that, weird how evidence. that works. Yeah. Okay. Well, fine. But I'm saying there is evidence that he doesn't retreat into that shell. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. that's worst case scenario. Don't I, don't I agree. go down that road. Let's talk um, about defensive linemen. Take well, our before we before we talk about defensive linemen, Grant, I do want to uh, just just uh, thank you know uh, some supporters of the podcast, if you will, uh, and give a quick shout sure. out to our friends over at the Granberry Theater. The Granberry Theater is an independent film uh, showing venue, uh, which is the technical term to me in movie theater in uh, in Fort Worth, and um, they show all kind of great films. Um, they're, they're, they're struggling right now because of uh, COVID and because of lockdowns and because, you know, we know what we know about being inside for long periods of time with large groups of people. So, um, you know, to, to support them, uh, you can follow them on social media. They're on Instagram, Granberry Theater, um, and they're doing, you know, watch alongs and, and, and interesting film stuff. You can also buy gift cards for future movies. So if you know you're going to go want to see one of the great movies they're showing in the future, you can buy one of those now. You could also rent out their theater for a very reasonable rate and, you know, watch the TCU Texas game in all its glory or any movie you want to put on there with a, a small group of friends, you know, safely distanced and everything. So um, plenty of options for you to support them both uh, on social media and, and financially through services um, in this time. And so uh, go check them out. Jimmy's a friend of the podcast and uh, he's the owner. And just, you know, tell them that uh, Purple Theory sent you um, and, and go support some great Fort Worth people. Um, along those lines, our second uh, sponsor or friend of the podcast um, is going to be Forged Fitness, F-O-R-G-E-D. Forged Fitness is a gym that is focusing on community uh, and, uh, and competition and uh, overall health outcomes. They run a lot of high-intensity weightlifting classes. The owner, Zia Ali, is a, a former uh, professional soccer player, really smart guy, knows how to, you know, uh, meet your goals, uh, set you up on a plan to get you to your goals. And so they do classes, they do open gym, they do cardio, they do high intensity, barbell lifting, all sorts of things that you could want, free community classes on Saturday. So you can check them out online at forgedfitness.com. Uh, and uh, they're on Instagram, social media, everywhere. Um, Really, really great business in locally owned Fort Worth uh, gym as well that you should support. All right, Grant, let's talk about the defensive line, which is, is perhaps the sorest defensive subject from, uh, from TCU's 2019 campaign. So uh, sack rate, the defense was 97th uh, overall um, in, in the nation, which is just really bad. And on passing downs, they were... 102nd overall. Um, again, really, really just not a lot of firepower there, which is a little bit disappointing because you have Shamik Blackshear come in as a grad transfer from South Carolina. SEC talent seems like he's really going to be able to, to play and contribute and just didn't really have it there, which I think my theory is that that put O'Shawn Mathis in a situation where he – was having to make plays and he was being deployed as the primary defensive end. And, and he's a little younger and, and, and kind of struggled to 
fill that role uh, a little sooner than, than was expected. So um, O'Shawn Mathis as a freshman, you know, 25 tackles, 6.5 tackles for losses, 2.5 sacks. Overall, um, you know, he had uh, 12 Havoc plays, which is, is, you know, from your primary defensive end is just not enough. And I don't blame O'Shawn Mathis. I think he definitely came on stronger uh, towards the end of the season. But, but man, he just – it just wasn't what to, you know, once Blackshear, once we realized like Blackshear is not the guy uh, and, and it became Mathis, Mathis grew into it a little bit, but, but really struggled on the defensive end. He did. And he was a guy that Patterson had said before the season that we should keep an eye out for, that he had really improved and was, was, was kind of dominating in practice workouts. And then he also became a guy that throughout the season, Patterson, I'm not going to say ragged on, but certainly named in statements and press conferences as someone that needs to pull their weight. To be fair, there was also the entire defensive line. That's probably the one subject that Patterson talked about the most when it came to units that need an improvement. Um, I, I agree. I think a lot of that has to do with Blackshear. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, can I say a name to you, Parker? You can. And you tell me what you think when you hear the name. Oh, gosh. Brandon Bowen. Okay, well, I went weird because isn't uh, gosh, this is like the worst podcast material. Who is the who is the NCAA basketball player who was like the center of the Adidas scandal at Louisville? Is his name Bruce Bowen? I think his name is Bruce, Bruce Bowen. Bruce Bowen. Bruce Bowen. Spurs. No, what's the kid's? Okay, I have no idea what I'm talking about. That kid's name is Brian Bowen. I think. Just tell me about Brandon Bowen. Whatever. Brandon Bowen was supposed to be a defensive end for TCU. Brandon Bowen played in three games as a freshman before he missed the remainder of the year with an injury. He missed his entire red shirt freshman year with an injury. Played in eight games as a sophomore because he was injured. And then missed the entire year in 2019 with an injury. I may be the only person left on Brandon Bowen Island. But I remember covering him as a recruit and talking to, I think, Greg Tepper from uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. And I swear I talked to him about Brandon Bowen and – was sold that he was going to be the next big thing. So I, I, I wonder if his absence, and I could, this is wild speculation, but I really think he had a role to play in TCU if he did not miss the entirety of the year last year. And I think he would have been another body that could have given Mathis a little bit of relief instead of him having to carry the entire weight of Blackshear's, let's say, less than stellar performance. Yeah. That's I my think, conspiracy. I think in Brandon Bowen was going to you know, an honorable mention, all big 12 player. Yeah. I think in, in an ideal world, like Justin Rogers started at quarterback and Brandon Bowen started at defensive end for TCU this year. Um, so, so yeah, I, in that sense, yes. Um, I don't know that anyone was like counting. <laughs> hey, <Parker. laughs> That's the meanest thing you've ever said. Yeah, if someone's like listening to this world. podcast for the first time and is like, man, that guy is a dick. Like, this has been a bad episode for that. Sorry. Um, no, so, so I, think, I think that's totally true. I think there was like a depth issue because it's an entirely different issue for like Parker Workman to be your fourth or fifth defensive end and Parker Workman to be your third defensive end. Like that is a decisively worse position. And so, and we are pro Parker Workman. Pro podcast. Parker Workman. I think I think Parker Workman is the defensive Carter Ware. Awesome role. Big fan of it. Want him to be used correctly. Um, and so I, 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 you know, I, I think that that defensive end 
I think there'd be a lot more pressure on Bowen if Mark Jackson wasn't here, because I think Mark Jackson is going to play defensive end. And so that gives you a nice kind of working rotation on the end of Mathis and Jackson probably starting uh, with, with Bowen pushing for one of those jobs, if not for playing time. And then Colt Ellison coming on really strong. Um, and, and he ended up, they burned his red shirt, didn't they? They did. And I'll, I think I'll fight you a little bit on him coming out. Okay. I, I, I'm not at all being mean on a player. I'm just trying to define what we're saying is coming out strong yeah. because he had seven tackles. Yeah. So, so, so yes, you've got to think like, I mean, in terms of like depth, in terms of like, they're going to, they're going to put guys on the field. Um, sure. You know, you know, your, your two defensive ends aren't going to play the entire time. So like, no, Colt Ellison is he will be part of the rotation. Yes, yes for sure. Yes, as a, as a rotation, rotation yeah, guy. Absolutely. absolutely. Cause he yes, wasn't that earlier sure. on. And so one, I think it's stupid. They burned his red shirt, but whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think Parker Workman and Colt Ellison kind of as a tertiary rotation contributors in the defensive end unit is, is a good sign for this unit. So hopefully Bowen's back and then can, can spell Jackson and Mathis. Um, but I think, I think TCU played a lot of three down. And by three down, I mean three down linemen and three linebackers, like a 3-3-5 three, three, instead of a 4-2-5. Simply out of necessity because of the fact they had more linebackers than they did um, – running backs or excuse me yeah. well that was dumb more linebackers than they did defensive ends but still in some of those things because you know tempo happens and and if you're too substitution heavy you get stuck there is like two or three plays where you're like i don't know that parker workman should be in coverage right now i don't know that offensive end should be trying to cover a wheel route and so like i remember day day one arkansas pine bluff game arkansas pine bluff ran a wheel route out of the backfield which like Props to whoever the hell Arkansas Pine Bluffs coach is because mm-hmm. they were going to TCU and they're like, darn it, we're running a wheel route out of the backfield because we know that stuff works. Um, and so, like, they did mm-hmm. that and it was, oh, defensive end got frozen. And so, you know, if you can get defensive end pressure a little bit better, you're not treating that person like a linebacker. It, it's kind of like the, you know, it's, it's half linebacker, half defensive end means it's a no, it's a nothing position. And so if TCU can get those right. guys like Bowen and, ja- or Bowen and Jackson and Mathis to actually get that rush – then I think that that's going to free up the linebacking core to play to its strengths. And that's going to, that's going to kind of realign the, the reorient the disposition of the defense more towards not having line, you know, not having defensive ends, having to play linebacker as well. For sure. For sure. Uh, uh, I'll say two things. One is that, look, I hope Brandon Bowen's healthy. I have no evidence that he is, but I, I, I wish that he was. And I hope that he can be a contributor this year. I wouldn't necessarily say count on it. The other thing is is that I think the strength of this line comes from the defensive tackle position, which has been the case for TCU for a couple seasons now, right? But you you look at Bethley, you look at Cooper. These are guys that weren't necessarily, you know, A-list players last year, but have a chance to develop into that um, and going into Bethley's senior year and Cooper's junior. Can I I say – sorry, I I absolutely agree with Bethley and Cooper uh, being very strong, and I want to talk about that more. I didn't make a point about O'Shawn Mathis. O'Shawn Mathis got eaten alive in the Oklahoma State game because Spencer Sanders could run. And that's not yeah. his fault necessarily. Um, but I do not expect – I expect him to be better on that. Like, just that alone. Yeah. The fact that they have film on like, hey, man, you cannot do this. Um, yeah. Like, you, you've got to commit. You've got to pick one. You can't stand there and let the zone read kill you. Um, and so, so I, think, I think the fact they have film on that is going to be huge for Mathis. Um, Cause literally like Chuba Hubbard's two runs 
involved one pretty egregious holds on the uh, linebacking core, but also involved a zone read where Mathis thought twice about Spencer Sanders running and got stuck and couldn't do anything. And I think he will absolutely yep. mature. Absolutely. That's that kind of like be put in a position to play the position. Well, Oklahoma state is targeting him. He's going to have more experience. He's going to be better. That being so, so that, that I just, I just need to say that defensive tackle I'm actually For really sure. high on. This is kind of like the, um, you know, the, 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 the weird, like, Hey, they lost a really good player. It's kind of like the offensive line where you're like, man, you lost Lucas, Lucas Niang, but like overall you might be better. Um, Mm-hmm. And so Bethley is going to be really good. Cooper's going to be really good. You've got guys waiting in the wings, man. Earl Barquet, uh, George Ellis the third, mm-hmm. Patrick Jenkins, Jacquez Sorrells is a four star who's a sophomore now. You just got guys um, that could that could be all over the place. And so I think one a ton of depth there, which is great. But two, you have two clear front running senior, like senior in the sense of like mm-hmm. older, experienced guys who are going to play that DT position. And so uh, I'm really really excited about that. Also, if Earl, I am too. If, yeah. if Earl Barquet's last name is not pronounced Barquet, I don't want to know. Also, uh, Sorrells is listed as a freshman, by the way. But yeah, I I, I agree. I think uh, interesting or Sorrell. Again, he, I don't know how to pronounce. It. I can't pronounce anything. Did he redshirt? Yeah. No, man. I, I think he's just a trade of freshman. Oh, I just you know, I'm old. I, listen, who, who who can possibly say? But no, I, I am very excited about Patrick Jenkins. I think he's sort of in the Bug Clark role where I don't necessarily want him to see the field. I think TCU can run with that um, four-man rotation that Barquet, uh, you know, Ellis, um, Bethley, and Cooper, and be fine with that. Um, but if Jenkins comes in for a couple games, like if he plays the whatever 10th game in that season and then Richards for the rest of the year, I'm down. I want to see what he can do. Um, but, no, I, I think this is going to be a, a pretty daggum decent um, TCU defensive tackle core. Um, and, and, again, uh, you know, someone's always going to break out. I mean, I, I thought Ross Blacklock was going to be good. I didn't think he was going to be, like, a first-round NFL draft pick, or I guess second-round NFL draft pick to my Houston Texans. Um, so people get put in a position to succeed, man, especially at defensive tackle. Yeah, I think uh... – and it's weird again, you know, like schematically, like a lot of what the defensive tackles are doing are like taking up space and closing up gaps. And so like Ross Blacklock had some sacks just because he's a big man and got through. And so, but like yeah. what you expect out of these guys aren't, you know, necessarily numbers, but more so just like, Hey, the running back is forced to a hole. And guess what? Garrett Wallow is right there ready to drop the hammer. So um, I think, I think these guys are, you know, Bethley and Cooper are very talented and very experienced in the system. And so I think that will kind of, uh, provide a lot more stability on the line than, than they had last year, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else that we need to say about the uh, – oh, first off, we should clarify, and that we were both right about Sorrells. This is, the, this is the guy, and I can't believe we forgot about this, that had committed in 2019 to South Carolina, then decommitted, and then recommitted to TCU, where he'll have four years of eligibility as a true freshman. Um, he came to campus in January. So oh, that's, so that was the, classic. okay. All right. All right. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 That was a great classification. And folks, if you're listening, we knew that, uh, it's just been a long six months or eight months or whatever it's been. It's been a long year. Um, okay. Anything, we need, anything else we need to say about the defense? I don't expect this defense. Okay. So like in our Oklahoma state preview a couple weeks ago, when Adam Lunt came and joined the podcast, we, we asked about Oklahoma and Oklahoma state's offenses. Like, if these aren't top 10 offenses, what went wrong? 
And I'm almost, I don't think it's top 10, but I'm like, man, if TCU doesn't crack the top 25 in defensive S&P this year, something bad happens. So like, Grant, what do you see, you know, I, I think everything's primed for this defense to be one of Patterson's better units. Um, and, and I think that means top 25 SP plus is that's my, that's my kind of heuristic for that there. Um, what do you, what do you see as like, where's a weak spot? What, what would be the problem if they, if we look at the end of the season and they're not top 25? You know, it, it, it'd be the pass rush kind of like we talked about. Um, I, Cause I do think that's, that's really the only weak spot. I mean, the, the secondary, you could say, okay, the injury bug might strike, but there are so many guys that can fill those holes. If unfortunately someone were to go down um, same with the linebacker positions. So it's just the TCU can't develop a pass rush and you get to the position where you're in the big 12 and you have quarterbacks able to dance around in the pocket and all these elite QBs are able to kind of, you know, it, given any amount of time, given a long amount of time, receivers will get open no matter how good yeah. your defensive backs are. So that's really the only thing I can think of. I, I think you're right. I, I think top 25 should be the bare minimum for this group. Remind me again, what were they last year? They were uh, have 30, that handy. 35. Is where they finished. Okay, they were absolutely 10 spots better than they yeah, were last year. I, I think Without so. Without. I, will, I will say kind of like the fatal flaw, and, and perhaps not even the flaw, it's just like the great trade-off. So like TCU was 16th overall in success rate. So its success rate is like efficiency, right? Like how often did you let the defense or the offense improve their position? And TCU, 36.4% on defense, really, really good, 16th overall. But in terms of uh, – But – Oh, go ahead. Well, I'll say but the offense um, – the other offense also probably started in a good position often, I would say, because our, the TCU offense was not that great. So, I don't know if that's how that metric works. Yeah, yeah, so, no, no, so, that, so, so that's success rate of like, hey, on first and 10, did you get 50% of yards? On second down, did you get 70% of yards? On third down, I know that but you, I didn't know it was in terms of down. I was thinking yeah. total yardage or no, you, yardage to the goal line. You made a salient point there. I, I have written an article, just plugging myself vainly, about like log yards or percent of, I call them value yards. So it's like percent of available yards. And so TCU's defense um, did, did, did pretty well in that metric. But, but the point you make is salient because TCU, uh, 101 in average starting field position. So like very bad, very, very, 30.7. So basically on the 31 yard line is where um, opposing offenses started, which is really, really tough. And, uh, and, and so TCU really good on success rate. They were able to kind of stop defenses. The problem was when they allowed successes, things got a little pointy. And you can think about the Iowa State game for a little bit, although I still blame the offense. Um, but yeah, so TCU is 103rd in ISO PPP, which is a fun stat to stay. It's just explosiveness, isolated points per play. So points per successful play. Um, that, that's a lot like my points created metric, um, which is just, you know, expected points added times success divided by number of plays. So that kind of thing is just like when you were successful, how successful were you? And when teams were successful against TCU, which they weren't often, they, they were very successful. So that big play potential makes me a little nervous with the returning experience at quarterback in the Big 12 and the fact that you have guys who can extend plays. And so you combine this perfect storm of like defensive turnover, offseason instability, veteran quarterbacks who can extend plays, you think, ooh, yikes, that could be a potential source of, of, of problem uh, where TCU just cannot find an answer to these big plays. Like they could stop routine plays, but every now and then they're letting up these huge touchdowns that really, that really bite them in the butt. Well, and I would agree with you, but I would also say that's kind of been the hallmark of a Gary Patterson defense. Like I'm thinking back to, to big losses or losses that I remember 
having covered and been and gone to TCU, and a lot of those touchdowns have come on big plays. Uh, I mean, you, you think about the, the, the pointsy explosion with Baylor, obviously, is the one that comes to mind. But you think uh, Oklahoma State in 2016, those are just bombs of James Washington. And uh, was that Dylan Stoner as a freshman there? I had another receiver there that was that carved up uh, TCU. Dude, um, Dylan Stoner yeah. has played five I, I years. Think He's got an extra year. He's very Ellis. He has been there forever. Um, it, I, I think that's common. I'm, uh, game day against West Virginia in 2017, remember that game specifically, it was just big plays. It wasn't sustained drives. And I, maybe I'm wrong, but I think TCU's defense is bend but don't break, but when it breaks, it freaking breaks. And I, I think that's kind of common. I don't yeah, know. I, I think I, so. I, I just I'm think not, not, that doesn't worry me. In, in terms of like magnitude, you know, you couple like maybe there's offensive instability and then that's that, and that's kind of my argument is like the defense was worse because of the offense because they saw higher volume, so more volatility. Sure. Do you want to hear a depressing stat? And then I think we can probably get to one or two questions here at the end. Uh, depressing I stat. Love that. Big play rate. So plays of at least 20 yards. TCU's offense, 7.1% big play rate, 87th in the nation. TCU's defense, 7.8%, which is 69th in the nation. Uh, so, yeah, just just uh, an absolute, uh, you, know, you know, paucity of big plays on defense and, uh, or on offense, and then just an overwhelming flow of big plays on defense is not – We're not calling that overwhelming. Overwhelming. Bottom half. Dude, outside the top 65, man, that's worse. That's out of power five. That is, that is, that is below range. power five level. It's a nice stat. I do it again. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll lead off questions. This is a real simple one. We're going to go to our friends at Twitter. We're going to go to noted friend of the podcast, uh, Noah Beam, at I know a guy seven. Losing blank for next season would be the biggest hit. Max Duggan, next question. I, for this season or for like the next three? For this season, do you know who the backup is right now, dude? Right, Stephon I didn't think about that. Brown. Okay. What? <laughs> yes, like, yes. That's not even like that's not even like a Grayson Mulestein meme, right? Like Take that's not Duggan even out of it. No, it's not. Take Duggan out of it. Come on, come on. I mean, that's that's the easy answer. I I, I think it's Wallow, but yeah. See, I think there's a lot of linebackers there. I think I could see a season where like Washington goes down early and the defense just doesn't recover. So I actually think it would be, it would be Washington or, or, or Merrig, one of the safeties who are kind of like the field general. Not because I don't think Wallow is exceptional, but because I think it's easier to replace linebacker and scheme around that. Um, especially okay. with like, okay, let me throw a situation. Garrett Wallow stubs his toe walking out to the first game and can't play all season. Mark Jackson and Marcel Brooks are starting linebackers. Okay. I don't want that, but yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. No, that's fair. I think that's fair. I'm still taking Wallow, but I see your point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the 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 answer's dug in, and then probably Wall, uh, probably a defender, and then probably, man, like if if oh, like wow. if if Pro Wells goes down, you're like, oh, I don't really, I don't, I don't know, I could just see like a wide receiver. I mean, I, listen, he's, at least he's a big body. You can throw yeah. in a tight end and have him go out and catch some passes. Well, yeah. TCU doesn't do that. So, um, you're right. Friend, uh, friend of the pod, Daniel Duncan asks a two parter here Is there a world where this team's offense attempts to get some combination of Barlow, Foster, and Evans on the field at the same time? 
you know, I don't have any inside info, but I wouldn't rule it out. Um, you can read a post that I wrote on a purple theory about a great way to utilize a four-person backfield out of the shotgun formation with Max Duggan at quarterback. And I think those three in the backfield will be really fun uh, altogether. But uh, I, I, I listen, say what you will. TCU, I think, has put out some interesting packages in the run game, even if they don't necessarily use them efficiently. Uh, so we may see them all on the field. Uh, your results may vary as to whether or not you like what happened. So I think this is, again, I say this all the time. That's why I want to hire Brennan Marin. Uh, Go-Go offense has two running backs is, is really deceptive. I think actually we won't see two two running backs in the backfield like this. We saw Darius three. and – well, he's saying some combination of the – some two like two oh, of the three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't see two of them at all. Is there a world where this I, team's offense attempts to get some man. combination – um, pro- I'm programming note. I, I, I'm curious about what we're, what what your take is. Yeah. So so programming note. Uh, just just for the listener, it sounds like my audio is being a little weird. So I think Grant and I are talking over each other. Apologize for that. We're gonna try and signal with our hands and just make sure we're we're not. I'm not interrupting Grant just because of lag or whatever. Um, but yeah. So so I think this is a, a two of those three. So one, I want the diamond formation. But I think actually uh, last year we saw very few opportunities for. We, we saw very few chances for Shaywell and Darius to be on the field at the same time. And I think that was a, a little bit of a waste. Um, I think that TCU put Tay Barber in the backfield a lot. And I, and I honestly think that was kind of a mistake, not because Barber's not talented, but because you know the ball is going to Barber when he lined up. And so there was no like building of concepts around, hey, Barber's in the backfield. And like, sometimes you're going to have to count for him. And sometimes you're not. It was like, oh, this guy's in the backfield. And he's he's going to get the ball. Um, so I just don't think there's a lot of creativity um, in terms of what you could have with, with those two, is there an offense you could create that would have both of them in the, like two of those three in the backfield would be awesome. Absolutely. Well, and we've seen some of it when we rewatched the Kansas state game when Meacham was there. So bringing Meacham back also bringing in, um, that gum, forgot his name, Brian, Brian the running best. Thank you. Yes. We've seen some of that, uh, when, we, we, when we rewatched the Kansas State game with Doug Meacham there, uh, they ran a lot of really interesting formations in the backfield with Kyle Hicks and Aaron Green on the field at the same time. Also bringing in Byron Applewhite and have, or Brian Applewhite and having him, you know, help coach the running backs. Who knows, man? Maybe he'll suggest a wrinkle that'll, you know, create the situation. I want to see it at the very yeah, least. Absolutely. I think it's very valuable, especially with like Evan's stated, you know, goals about comments about like catching passes and stuff. I think Darius Anderson was critically, criminally un- underutilized in the passing game. Um, okay, so Daniel Duncan's second question is like, what are your thoughts on the Frogs of War article analysis on Cumbie's play calling during last year's Baylor game? Uh, that's that's a Hawkeye uh, who who is an is an old Frogs of War guy. Cool that he's writing stuff again. I, I haven't read that. I'm actually uh, you know uh, perpetually finishing up this piece on uh, Sunny Cumbie's offense based on the Texas game. So that's actually going to be kind of similar to that. So I've stayed away from reading his piece because I don't want to. But, but from my understanding, that's like a line-by-line, line, just like, hey, here's what they did and kind of the execution grade. Interesting way to think about it. Go look at it. I think, um, I think the Baylor game wasn't Sonny Cumbie's worst game, uh, and I don't think it was his best game. Like, I think it was actually very neutral in terms of play call just because TCU was so limited by um, defense uh, – or excuse me, by, by injuries and by offensive line. So, um, I don't know. Grant, have you read that piece? I have not. Now that I know it exists, I'm going to go read it. Uh, it's you super, should read yeah. things that are on Frog War. Yeah. Yeah. Super, I just haven't read it yet. Cool. I just, I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten to it. So uh, glad to see that Hawkeye is um, alive and well. 
Um, another question, uh, TCU Mike, is Max a good QB? I assume this is a troll because I've talked to Mike before, but I think Max Duggan is, uh, has all the tools to be a good quarterback and uh, needs to grow and progress to become that. I think he's a good quarterback that had a bad season. Sometimes I feel like 2020 is just me being a good quarterback and having a bad season. Um, I am. I'm Max Duggan. <laughs> wow. This is incredible. <laughs> I am Max Duggan. Uh, okay. I've got uh, uh, one, one more question that I really liked. Uh, so, so we have, or we have two, and they're both from friend of the pod, Will Taylor, who is a uh, uh, good guy. He says, uh, when, 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 TCU, when the TCU Big 12 schedule is revised, what order do you want to play each of the teams if you could rig it in TCU's favor? So, like, if they were going to reschedule and TCU got to choose, here's what we want, how would you schedule it, Grant? Okay. So, uh, let's discard home and away. Yeah. Because that, well, that's going to add two. Straight and around. Okay. Um, give me – I'm going to top of my head. Let's go Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma. Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas, Kansas, Baylor. I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. Oklahoma State. Sure, we'll end with Oklahoma State. Okay. Do you – I you explain, so, so, so your, my, explain your logic. Is, yeah, is yeah. that I'm trying, to, I'm trying to allow TCU a chance to ramp up with some games that should – should be wins, but also could be losses. I don't want to put Kansas first because then you have no break in the middle of the season. No offense to the Jayhawks. Um, you're going to the Oklahoma game. Look, it's going to be tough. Maybe you pull out a win. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But you've had some chance to build some momentum. Um, you have another couple games that could provide a break. Um, then you get Texas. I want TCU to beat Texas. I also want TCU to beat Baylor. I don't want TCU to come off a loss to Texas and then have to go play Baylor and potentially carry that over. So that's why I put the Kansas game in between Texas and Baylor. Um, and then Oklahoma State, I think they're going to be really good. I'd love that game to be the last game of the season and have that be, you know, maybe a preview of the Big 12 title game, although I don't know if they're going to play that this year. I guess they are, and they'll play it at Arlington. So, hey, maybe you take that game as a loss. You've already got your, your spot in the Big 12 title game, you know, set aside. You don't show them anything, and then you see them the next week. But that's my thought process. I really like the Texas-Kansas-Baylor. That's a good move. Um, yeah, that's the one you I had. What's your answer? So my thought process is uh, I kind of want to ramp up just a little bit more, um, but I also want to catch some people early because I, I think it's, it's uh, more of an advantage. So like specifically, I'm thinking I about like, there as well. I, yeah. I think I want OU game one, given that there's no spring and they're starting a new quarterback. I think that's TCU's best shot at Oklahoma is TCU is fully healthy and TCU has the incumbent quarterback advantage. Uh, yeah. So, so that's, I mean, again, if you assume that's a loss 60% of the time, maybe it's a little better uh, beginning. Then, mm -hmm. then I want to do the ramp up. So I want to do OU. Then I want to do tech Kansas state, then Iowa state. I want to get Iowa state early because they always come on late. Then uh, a, a little very break, but enough of a challenge that you don't mentally check out. West Virginia, then Texas, Kansas, Baylor, and on OSU. Um, 
So all I did was flip, just kind of move around a little bit. I kept that. I love that Texas, Kansas, Baylor, OSU um, kind of block there. Uh, you could imagine a bye week uh, in, in that in that four four group of games at some yeah. point, which would be nice. Uh, but even a bye week after West Virginia and say like, okay, we're going to go play three hard games out of four. I like that. It depends on home and away, obviously. But I think West Virginia is a team I want to catch early. Um, mm-hmm. And then Kansas State, I think, is going to be that. Like, you go, you know, OU, Texas Tech, Kansas State, ramp up to Iowa State. West Virginia is kind of a step down. And then that Texas, Kansas, Baylor, Oklahoma State. So definitely try and get, you know, some, some of the, like, a, a combination of, like, some bad teams early, but not so many that you don't have any rest at the end of the season. Yep. Yeah. Um, Good. Calls be calls whenever you need us. We'll, uh, we'll design the perfect schedule. Seriously. Uh, Will had one more question, and I'm going to abbreviate it and ask it because I think it's fun. So he asked, like, what would your optimal college football road trip be? And I think that's a fun exercise, but that's probably more research than I have time for to, like, figure out games and all that. So I'm just going to say, Grant, one non-Big 12 uh, game this season that you would like to travel to, what would be your, what would be your pick? I don't know if they have a – hold on. I'm, I'm going to pull up a certain team's schedule, and I want to pick out their best home game. Okay? okay. Do, do you have one in mind before I do this? Or I can stall. I'll tell uh, you this right now. Obviously, there's North Carolina. I want to go see Keenan Stadium. But outside of that, I'm going to the Big Ten, Parker. Are you going to the game? I'm, I'm going to go to the Big Ten. I'm going to go to Wisconsin, uh, and I'm going to watch them play uh, – Nebraska at home on November 21st. Okay. Because that's okay. It's going to be cold. It's going to be freezing. Everyone there is going to be as drunk as humanly possible. Wisconsin's going to win. Camp Randall, from what I've heard, is an incredible game day experience. It's one I've always wanted to go to. I love downtown Madison. The game's not going to matter that much, but because those people are nuts, COVID aside, they'll still be in the stadium. And I want that game day experience. So that, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. That's pretty smart. Um, Weirdly, also, that's Wisconsin's best home game. So I don't know how that happens. Good for them. I wish TC would get a break like that. Uh, The Big 12 should expand just so they can have like a shitty inferior division that like every year, you know, the one division can get like a really nice draw. (laughs) Like if TCU could become the Wisconsin, the Big 12, just by being in the inferior division, I would love it. Yeah, uh, I'm with me, it. Give me, yeah, give me like, give me like Tech, Kansas, Kansas State every year. Um, okay, yeah. So I think my game is uh, uh, probably on brand. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette, uh, the Rage of Cajuns go to App State on ten seven, uh, and so I think that would be my game. I've heard Boone, North Carolina, is a great place. I've heard that. Um, it, I think you have some experience with Boone. Yes, my dad went to App State for a semester. Right. I have a ton of around the area i've been a couple times uh, i can't say enough good things about it i'd love to go as a 21 year old but no i've, I've heard it's incredible as, as, as for the first scene and the town is just beautiful and, and so i imagine 10 7 is going to be a crisp fall day in the appalachians and so that's mm-hmm. that's going to be great you get uh, a really fun exciting uh team in in lafayette uh and you get you know app state continuity with sean clark really fun power offense they played twice last year um just a really really good game so i think that would be kind of the combination of like lower key not necessarily that like kind of sterile big power power five game but a, a little bit more of like a, a off the beaten path more college game so that would be my pick there 
yeah, the bony bear of football games. Yes, I understand. Indeed. Yeah, no, it'll be. Uh, no, th- th- that's a great pick. Uh, I love both those teams so much. That's, Me too. Really so fun. much fun. I don't even yeah. think I'm like a fan of them. I just enjoy them so much. Yeah, that's how I feel about like. Um, I'm trying to be a relevant NFL team, like the Rams when they were really good and they went to the Super Bowl. So I don't care about this team, but golly, they are ramping it up. Like it was just fun to watch. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, honestly, that that was me with the Titans last year. Just like I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a closet, like very casual Titans fan, and it was just like this team is fun as hell. Like yeah, I, I just, their I just enjoy them. Their play style should have been anathema to you. No, no. Here's the thing. Everyone's wrong. Uh, Derrick Henry only ran after they were up. Tannehill was super efficient. Tannehill like led the league in CPOE last year, dude. This is an NFL podcast now. We're not doing this. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, Grant, I think that's everything I've got for the defensive preview for Q&A. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be talking about college football, man. We've got some, some skin and bones on, uh, on a schedule and what that abbreviated looks like. And so hopefully, you know, hopefully we can get there. Guys, I don't want to sermonize, but like, let's wear a mask. Let's just be smart and just uh, make sure we can get college football happening. That's my, that's my big thing there. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Stats of War. Grant is at Grant McGalliard, spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. Make sure you subscribe to the Purple Theory newsletter. Um, as the season shapes up, we'll continue to bring out some, some really high quality uh, deep TCU analysis. And I, and I don't think I'm stepping on any toes by saying uh, it, you're not finding anything like this anywhere else on the, on the internet in terms of um, just, just deep analysis of TCU uh, play level statistics, all that is, is really unique. And so make sure you're there. Cause it, as games come up, we're going to have a really, really nice flow of information previews um, storylines to watch key matchups uh, all of that are, are there. So purple theory.substack.com is where you can find that. And as always, um, leave a, leave a review, leave a rating. I think last I checked 10 people have left ratings and we're just flattered. Thank you so much. That doesn't uh, yeah. do anything except, uh, you know, make us feel good about ourselves and more importantly, get that show visible so that people who want to know about it, uh, can find it. So, um, you know, share it if you like it, rate review. Um, we appreciate you listening. We hope you're all doing well. Um, stay safe, stay healthy. And, uh, otherwise we'll, we'll see you next week. Bye guys.